tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You've persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. That's a pretty impressive list. Yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He was in ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I'll give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Wow. And I think as we saw last week, Jesus had many positive affirmations for the church of Ephesus. In, other ways, in some ways, it was a great church. It would have been a great church to belong to when you think about it because there are so many amazing qualities that we need to emulate today. But then we see in verse 4, there's one thing that he did not commend and that required some urgent action some urgent surgery, if you like. Like we see there in verse 4, Yet I hold this against you, you have forsaken your first love. And so this is the thing that he held against them. In the literal Greek, it means because your love, the first one, or early love, you have left. Somehow in all their serving and all their patience and all their perseverance, their hard work, and all the toil, somehow they had lost their first love for Jesus. And the sad thing about this is that they probably didn't even realize the true state of their own hearts. Somehow the fire was going out in their hearts. After all, they were busy serving the Lord. They planted lots of churches from Ephesus. They kept sound doctrine. They were the biggest church around at that time. They were probably a mega church the biggest church at that stage anyway, and many had been martyred and been persecuted. We talked about that. Some of them were thrown into the, and with the wild animals in the Colosseum and they were killed and martyred for Christ. And they'd refused to compromise with the culture around them. But in all that, somehow, they had lost their first love. And it took about 40 years. We saw that last week when... John received this revelation. It was about probably 40 years after the church had been established. So in one generation, with all their activity and all the incredible compliments that Jesus gives them, he says, I have this one thing against you. You have lost your first love. Well, you have fallen from your first love. I want to go to, just keep your finger there, but go to Ephesians, because this is interesting, because Paul, remember, planted the church in Ephesus, and he writes this letter to the Ephesus, and he reads right at the end there in chapter 6, verse 24, which is interesting, because after all we see what happened, this takes on greater significance. Right at the very end, the last verse, writing to the Ephesus church, grace to you all who love your Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. And so this statement here takes on a significance after seeing what happened. 
And Paul is laying a principle here which needs to be highlighted. It's this. Set your hearts to love the Lord and grace will be multiplied to your life to love Him with undying love. See, here's the bottom line. Our love for Jesus Christ does not grow or increase automatically. In actual fact, your love automatically decreases unless your heart is set in a different direction. And we have to continue to reset our hearts, reset, reset, and reset. It's interesting, with the lockdown, one of the words that came with the corona thing was God wanted to reset the church. And this verse was coming out a number of times even before the lockdown, that the church in the West has lost its first love. And so part, I think, what's happening with coronavirus or what God used was trying to reset the hearts of his people because they had lost their first love. Because what happens, as I said, you don't actually increase in God's love. It has to be very deliberate. Otherwise, you'll end up just growing cold with your love for Jesus. You have to make the decision to love him that you'll make over and over again. And it's those decisions where God's empowering grace is released to love him. Because grace is God's empowering presence. And that's what he says there. Grace to all you who love the Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. And so what he's saying is you make a deliberate choice and you make, you make deliberate choices over and over again to love him. Then in that choices you make, God releases his grace as an empowering presence to love him and with an undying love. And so we have to regularly set our heart hearts towards the grace of God and ask him to increase in this area of loving him more and more. You see, the problem is that we drift slowly from our first love. It doesn't happen in a week. It doesn't happen in a year. It happens over a period of time. And if we don't attend to it, we just gradually, our love for Jesus tends to die. Sometimes it can be one big event and they, where someone gets so discouraged they just quit, but that's pretty rare. Okay, I've met some people like that, that something's happened in their lives and they've just basically just spun out and that was it. They've turned away from following Christ because they had a disaster and they couldn't reconcile it and so they just ended up turning away from Jesus. I remember a couple of years ago, it was like that, they were fairly new Christians and their daughter got raped and they just couldn't reconcile it. They blamed God and they just totally backslid because they couldn't accept it. How did God let our daughter be raped? And they spun out totally and rejected God and turned away from Christianity. That can happen, but it's fairly rare. In most cases, it's very slowly happens, like a frog in the bowl analogy. You know the frog in the bowl? You know that story, don't you? If you, you stick a frog in boiling hot water, it will jump out. If you stick a frog in cold water and you slowly heat the water, the frog won't move. It will just sit there, and it will slowly just boil to death, right? That's the analogy. And it's a bit like with our walk with Christ. It doesn't happen overnight, but over a period of time, we can lose our love. It's a slow drift, and our heart becomes less and less connected with Him. You slowly stop praying. You slowly you stop reading the Word of God like you used to. Church becomes just like an optional extra. You might turn up, you might not. The fire just starts to go out. And it might take years, but you suddenly realize you're at a place where 
you haven't denied Jesus, but the fire's gone out. You just don't have the same fire to love him and to serve him. And so here we have that fact that he loves us enough that he gives us redemptive rebukes. And this is what Revelation is about. They're like redemptive rebukes to his church because he loves his church much. You see that Revelation 3.19. We'll just read a verse there. 3.19. He says, Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. Here's the question. Have you known the rebuke of the Lord? Have you? Because the rebuke of the Lord means he actually loves you. See, we often like that. But he comes because he loves us. And this is what's happening here with the churches. He comes with a rebuke because he's saying, you've lost your first love. And so he comes and he says, come on, you need to wake up here. You've lost something. And so the question is, when is the last time you felt the rebuke of the Lord for not cultivating your first love? See, the commandment to love God with all of your hearts and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength is the first and the greatest commandment. God's primary purpose or assignment in our lives is to grow in love for Him. Any ministry that does not flow from a foundation of intimacy with Jesus will always lead to being wounded, bitter, disappointed, depressed, bored, or just burnt out. And I've been a Christian long enough to see that. I've got many, many friends over the years. They haven't denied Jesus, but they ain't loved Jesus like they did at the very beginning. They've got wounded. They've got bitter. They've got disappointed. They've got depressed. They've got bored. Or they've just burnt out. They haven't necessarily denied Jesus, but they're not really following Jesus the way they should either. It's like, oh, you know, it's okay. I've been there, done that. You know, I still love Jesus, but it's like something's gone. The spark's gone, the love's gone, the passion's gone. But they haven't actually denied Jesus, but they've lost their first love. And so I can tell you that the absolute main thing that the Holy Spirit is speaking to his church, and you don't need a prophecy for this, it's this. He wants us to focus on loving him. That has to be the priority. You have to cultivate this relationship of loving Jesus because the reality is it will disappear without you realizing it over a long period of time. Luke chapter 10 at verse 38. Luke chapter 10. Uh, who knows this story? This is an awesome story. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. And Jesus, as his, Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you why, care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, You're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. 
See the Mary of the Bethany lifestyle. She chose what was better. It's not saying don't ser- um, not to serve, but here was Mary, you see. She had a revelation of who Jesus was. And so when Jesus came to the house, she realized and so she just sat at his feet and listened. Martha got distracted, had to prepare things, and she got angry with her sister. You can imagine it. Jesus, just tell my sister to help me. I'm doing all the work here. And Jesus said, Martha, 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 you're busy with so many things. But she's chosen the better thing and will not be taken from her. Learning to sit at the feet of Jesus and falling in love with him. You see, here's the thing. When we stand before the Lord on judgment day, he's going to talk about our heart response to him. My heart responses of affection, obedience, not how many people I impacted, not how great our ministry was, all the things I did for him. When we stand before him, he's going to be looking at our heart and our heart responses to him in this life. In other words, our love responses to him. Our love responses of affection, obedience, not how many people are impacted or all the things we did. He's going to be looking at our heart because he sees our heart. See, often we ask, what's God's calling on our life? And we almost always will respond about our ministry assignment. That may be as part of God's calling, but it's not the main calling. The main calling is always the first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That's the first commandment. And you see, you, you have to really, that's something you really got to focus on because you can lose that. Everything else will flow out of that. See, don't propagate the lie, the error, that if you just work hard, but don't occult love for God, that you'll be somehow great. You're, you're going to end up in disaster. It has to be that number one. And it doesn't happen automatically. You need God's grace, and it, need, it takes incredible strength and focus. You see, it's reminding yourself that he loves me and I love him. That's why you're successful. You're successful because your love for him, your love responses to him. That biblical narrative will pull you through to the end. That will keep you out of a tailspin. Because if you don't know that he loves you and that you love him and back to him, your life can get into a tailspin before you know it. And if you go to Ephesians, go back to um, Revelation. The first thing he says there, which is interesting, he says, remember. Verse 5. 2 verse 5. Remember the height from which you have fallen. One way of restoring our first love is by remembering. What do we remember? Well, he's saying going back to the time you first responded to the gospel. The sense of awe. The esteem, the wonder. It's like young people who fall in love for the first time. The Ephesians fell hard when they first came to Christ. They fell in love with Christ. Their hearts were captivated with their love for Jesus. Remember the Ephesus church started a revival. We talked about an Acts. You can read that. Paul arrived there. It was a pagan city. Preached the gospel. And they responded. 
They turned away from their idols. They returned away from worshipping all the different idols, satanic idols. And then they says they burnt all their books, all their witchcraft and occult books. And they said there was about $5 million worth in today's terms. They had a huge big bonfire. And so they heard the gospel and they respond with such passion and love. They rejected all the pagan worship. They turned away and they served God and they were persecuted and they suffered. There was a zeal, there was a zealousness. And we have to remind ourselves of how the Lord loves us. Conscious, remember how he loves you. You must say it with our mouths. We have to remember the true narrative of his goodness and how he loves us. Remember your early days, how zealous you were when God touched you with his love, when he captured you with his heart. And you totally abandoned yourself to him. You see, your heart was just fresh and you didn't care about anything else. So just think about your own life when you first gave your life to Christ. For me, it was quite radical because I was saved in a totally non-Christian home. It was so radical. It was overnight my life just totally transformed. As like God touched me. I knew his love was so real. I was just so on fire. And I think I've told this times, many times. The first thing I did, I went to my parents and said, you're going to hell, you're not a Christian. And that didn't go down too well. Right? But I was on fire because I just realized that God's love had touched me. And so there was a fire in there. And I, didn't, I just totally abandoned myself to God because I knew it was so real to me. And here's what he's saying here. Go back to remember when you first got saved, when Paul came and preached the gospel to you. Your heart was fresh. You didn't care about anything. You totally abandoned yourself to him. You see, what happened, this very simple, profound love for Jesus had dissipated and slipped away from them, although they never wavered in faithfully serving God. You think about it. it Outwardly, this church would have been amazing. You had like Paul the apostle was there planted the church. Timothy became one of the leaders. We talked about this. We had John, the apostle. Mary, the mother of Jesus, lived in Ephesus. I mean, that's pretty, that's an impressive list, isn't it, of people. You'd imagine meeting those people, being under those sort of caliber of people. I mean, Paul, Timothy, John, the apostle, mother of Jesus, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. It must have been pretty amazing. Outwardly, it looked all successful. It looked amazing. But to see in their hearts, they'd gotten to the point where suddenly their first love had gone. You see, we often judge, don't we, from the outward appearance. We see a, we see a big church, and or not a big church, but we see a church that's flash and things are happening and people are getting saved. And, and we think, wow, what a church. But remember, Jesus doesn't look at the outward stuff. He's always looking at the heart because that church looked successful. It was doing all the right things. They had all the right pedigree, if you like, of people that were famous. I mean, it must have been incredibly impressive. And so he tells them to, first of all, remember. And so we have to remember where we came from and say, God, Remember what it was like when I first got saved, how it was so real. 
And then he says there, repent. Repent simply means to turn around, to change your mind, change your thinking. Repent. Remember, repent and do the first works. Do the first works. And that will vary for each one of us, but for the Ephesus church, the first works were, obviously they preached the gospel, they served, they faced persecution, they, they faced huge oppo opposition, they got rid of all their idols, they burnt all their occult books, their lives turned around. I would say it's difficult to find a mature Christian who hasn't had to fight this temptation. It's a very subtle backsliding that occurs in the act of serving God. Remember from where you have fallen. Interesting, isn't it? Remember where you have fallen. Jesus is putting not loving, or Jesus putting not loving God as the first thing into the category of sin. It's a form of spiritual smug, smugness that can blind us to the true spiritual state. I don't think they even realized. As I said last week, remember, John was in Ephesus. So when John had this revelation and he said the first message from Jesus was to his church, he was thinking, wow, this is going to be interesting. And then God tells, hey, you've lost your first love. John was known as the apostle of love. I think he might have been shocked. He said, how can that be? Because he was known as the apostle of love. And so it must have been quite a rebuke to realize that the churches he was involved in, Jesus says, hey, it's amazing what you're doing, but you've lost your first love. Return to me. This Ephesus church was renowned for their passion for Jesus, the, willing to, the willingness to serve, the turning away from the pagan culture, and their passionate or missionary zeal. It was all part of their glorious history. And so it was pretty impressive. But in Jesus' eyes, they had fallen. The seeds of institutionalized religion seemed to have already begun to control them so much. I remember, I remember hearing John Wimber um, in Auckland here a number of years ago when he came to New Zealand. And he said something, you know, when you listen to somebody, I can't even remember what else he spoke about, but he just had this little bit of a phrase, and I thought, wow, and it stuck to me. It's funny how some things stick with you. I don't know if anyone picked it up, but he said, he said to all the, it was mainly leaders there, but he said, remember this, he said, a movement usually lasts about 25 years. And after about 25 years, it normally settles down and becomes like every other church, and it loses its fire. And Vineyard had been going about 20 years at that stage, and he said, that's what tends to happen. He said, this is what I'll tell you. He said, if the fire falls in a church down the road, don't stay in Vineyard, follow the fire. And it really struck me. He said, don't stay here. If the fire's not falling here, don't stay. He said, because what happens is in about 20, 25 years, you tend to settle down and become like every other church and every other denomination. 
He said, you've got to find out where the fire's falling and go where the fire's falling. And I thought, wow, that's pretty radical. Basically, was saying, don't stay in vineyard. That's a challenge, isn't it? You see, if the fire falls down the road, do we stay here? <laughs> if there's no fire here, it'd be better to go down the road. Follow the fire. Because if you don't, your love will begin to die. That's what he was saying. And that's a challenge for every generation. It's a challenge for every generation, especially after about 40 years. He said, where's your first love? Return back to what you know at first. Because the seeds of institutionalized religion seem to have always begun to take control after a period of time. You see, repentance demands acknowledgement of sin and an agreement with God concerning our condition. It's acknowledging and deliberately turning away from sin. And nevertheless, Jesus made it clear to them, he said, if they resisted his pleading, he would come to them in judgment and it would be sooner rather than later. Because he comes and he rebukes in love. But if you don't listen, he says, well, there's going to be consequences. That's scary, isn't it? We don't like that. And the judgment here you'll see in Revelation, he says, if you don't repent, I'll remove or move the lampstand from your midst. Wow. Now, the lampstand, it says that Jesus walks amongst the seven lampstands. The seven lampstands were the seven churches. Now, the lampstands were probably like the, were the menorah, which was the Jewish candle, which had one stand, and then had seven branches, had seven candles. And that represented the seven spirits of God. And it says, Jesus walked amongst the lampstands. In other words, he walks amongst the churches. And so he says, if you don't repent, I'm going to remove your lampstand. And that can mean a couple of things. Number one... It's to do with the influence and the calling as a church. And second, it's also to do with his presence in their midst. He's basically saying, if you don't repent, I'm going to remove the lampstand. I'm going to remove my presence and my power, and I'm going to remove more than that. I'm going to remove the destiny from, that, from your church. The destiny that you were called to do would no longer be there. It would lose its influence. That's a scary thought. And I believe every church, just like an individual, has a particular calling and purpose. And if you don't fulfill it, God will raise up someone else or another church or even a new movement. That's why I think new movements started. Do you realize that? If you go through history, there's always new movements. But you know why? Because somewhere along the line, there was a church that's supposed to do that, but they had lost it. They'd lost their first love. And so God says, okay. I'm going to raise another church up. I'm going to raise another movement. And he comes and he breathes on a new movement and he raises up a new movement. And that's a warning for us. It's a warning for our lives. It's just like our individual lives. Every one of you here has got a calling and a ministry. Every one of you has got a purpose while you're here. You're not here just to fill a pew seat on a Sunday morning. You're not here just to cruise through life. You have a purpose, a calling, and a ministry. And if you don't fulfill it, God will just raise up someone else.
I always remember the story of Billy Graham. Most of you know Billy Graham. Probably the most famous evangelist. And God spoke to him one day. He said, you're my second choice. I said, what do you mean? There was another man I called, but he didn't do it. And so I chose you. I raised you up. Here's the reality. If you've got a calling on your life, you don't fulfill it. God will come and say, okay, fair enough. He'll just put you on the side. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It doesn't mean you lose your salvation. But he say, you don't want to do it. I'll put you aside. You'll lose your influence. I'll raise up someone else who's going to do what I've asked them to do. And it's the same for churches. Churches have a specific calling. Every church has a specific calling, specific purpose. That's why I said what Frehley said this morning, spot on, because it's reminding us if we don't do what God has put asked us to do, we will never succeed. We're just, God is okay, you're not going to do it. I'm just going to raise up someone else. He will just raise up another church, another place to do what he's asked them to do. He will give it to someone else. That's what he's saying here. I'll remove the lampstand. That's scary, isn't it? That's the judgment. It's because God loves us so much and he has things that need to be accomplished and if we don't do it, he'll raise someone else. This is a warning and a reminder to every church and each generation that its influence can be retained only if that local church or local body of believers stay in step with the head of the church. Every generation's got to stay in step with God's purposes. The next generation here, you've got to make sure you stay in step with God's purposes. Otherwise, you'll just, God will bypass you. He'll just raise up someone else. He'll raise up another church. And if you look through history, that's the history of the church. You'll have denominations, you'll have movements. Even in my lifetime, I've, when I first got saved, there were some huge denominations and movements. Forty years' time, they don't exist. They're just basically gone. You think, what happened? There's some amazing movements. Amazing movements of God. Denominations that had huge impact. And in a generation, it's like, where have they gone? Disappeared. Just died. Some just basically died in a matter of ten years because they weren't fulfilling the assignment that God gave them. They'd lost their first love. They'd moved away from that, and God just said, I'm going to remove the lampstand. I'm going to give it to someone else. And so that's the warning that he's bringing here. Here they'd lost their first love. And he said, if you don't turn back to your first love, I'm going to remove your lampstand. I'm going to take your, the presence. I'm going to take my presence. I'm going to take your purposes. It doesn't mean I don't love you anymore. It's just that you're not going to have the same influence. You're not going to accomplish the things that I have for you. You'll exist, but not the way that you hoped. And then we have a saying in verse 17. Verse 7, sorry. Which is to all the churches. If you go through the seven churches, these are things that he says at every church. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Christ issued an invitation to those with open hearts and with ears to hear, implying that everyone does not have the ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. And so we need to ask ourselves, 
Holy Spirit, what are you saying? See, if Jesus is in the midst of Southside Vineyard here, what do you think he would say? Because he has some things to say, obviously. And if he's walking in our midst with eyes of fire, what would he say to Southside Vineyard? What would be the message? What would he want to say? It's like pretty scary, isn't it? It's like, <gasps> do you really want to know? Because he might be some serious rebukes. He might commend us for a few things. He might rebuke us for some other things. I think of Vineyard internationally. What would God say to Vineyard internationally? And Vineyard internationally, Vineyard started in revival. That's pretty scary. That means it's a huge thing. When John Wimber started, it came out of the Jesus revival back in California. There was such an outpouring of the Spirit. God raised up Vineyard and had a huge impact. Thousands came to Christ. But I wonder if God came and visited Vineyard now, what would he say? Have we lost our first love? Well, we might be doing all the right things, but where's our hearts? Do we love him with the same passion that you loved him way back then at the beginning? That's the question. Because he walks in the midst of his church. And here he offers an invitation. Those with open hearts, with ears to hear. Do we have ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church? And then he gives the other statement, which is in all the seven churches. We talked about this. There are rewards for overcoming. And we'll see that for all the seven churches. To him who overcomes... Overcome denotes a victor, a champion, or one who possesses some type of superiority to conquer, to defeat, to master, to overwhelm, to be victorious. From this word, we get the word Nike, Nike shoes. That's where they took it from, right? It means the Greek goddess of victory. There you go. It describes either an athletic victory or a military victory. In other words, it means nothing less than a full commitment would be sufficient to master and overcome the exterior and internal struggles they were facing. They had to overcome the losing of their first love. And there's no question about that the church in the West is at this point. This, this verse came as a warning even before Corona. In actual fact, this verse came just before the massacre in Christchurch with the Muslims. That scripture came clear in the prophetic word. I think it was a warning to the church in the West. Wake up. You've lost your first love. And if you keep turning away from my first love, there's things going to happen that are not going to be good. That's why I think the coronavirus, whatever you want to say about it, is God's getting, trying to get the attention of the church to re reset their button, reset back to the first love, that we are to love him with that same jealous and passionate love scary, isn't it? And to those who overcome in this area of first love, they get a reward. And it tells you that in this particular church, they ever said, if you overcome, I'll give you the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And this is quite hard to explain. I'm not, and how we're gonna, I'll try and explain the best I can, but it's hard to know exactly. But it says you get the right to eat from the tree of life 
in paradise. I don't think it's talking about salvation, of course. It's talking about if you overcome, when you get to heaven, you're going to get a reward. You're going to eat from the tree of life. Paradise actually means literally a luxuriant garden at the heart of the palace or royal residence, surrounded by walls to provide privacy and security to those who are within it. And this is quite difficult to explain. We know that the tree of life was in the Garden of Eden, remember? Along with the tree of good and evil. Remember Adam and Eve? They sinned by eating from the tree of good and evil. And were banned from the garden. Because if they'd eat from the tree of life in that fallen state, they would have condemned all of mankind to live eternally in a fallen state. And so they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and there was a huge angel put there to stop them with a sword, so they couldn't touch the tree of life. The early church believed the tree of life in the garden was really the foretelling of the cross. On the cross, Jesus' sacrifice would provide eternal life for those who believed. And so the tree of life is really Jesus Christ. It's a place where paradise is restored, and we can join him in his private quarters and stroll with him in the cool of the day, just like Adam and Eve did. It talks about in Revelation, there's a, new, there's a tree of life in the new Jerusalem, in heaven. And it seems to me, this is the best way to explain it, there's a special place of closeness for those who have overcome the negligence of loving God first. For those who have not lost their first love, there is some special blessing for those who overcome in this area. And for those suffering persecution in Ephesus, this would have been very comforting. Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, invites those who overcome him to join in his private quarters, if you like. In other words, there's a special garden, there's a special place, there's a special place of intimacy with Jesus for those who overcome. See, I don't think heaven's all going to be all on the same level. We'll talk about that, but there's different rewards. It talks about some will be in charge of the cities of a 1,000, some of 10,000. There will be those, some that are close to the throne, some are not close to the throne. We're all not going to be in the same place because it all depends how we live this life on earth. But he's saying those who overcome that temptation to lose your first love, there is a special place of intimacy they're going to have with Jesus. A secret place. I don't know how it all works. But that's the reward for those who overcome in this area. Because it's not easy to overcome, especially in our Western culture and our Western society. I think of all those who are being martyred for Christ. There's thousands being martyred every day all around the world. I think, my goodness, they're going to be... I just realize when you think about it, nobody knows who they are. They've suffered for Jesus. They love Jesus. They're going to get a martyr's crown. You know, that's one of their rewards. But I would imagine that a lot of those people that no one ever knows are going to be really close to Jesus because in the midst of suffering, they do not lose their love for Jesus. And I think, man, I wonder where much of the Western church is going to be. <laughs> it, it's not talking about your salvation, but there are rewards in heaven to how you lived your life on this earth. And so the key is, is that we need to ask God to give us grace. Because I think that's the key verse there. 
grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. That we need to ask God to give us grace to love him. Because you can't, you'll just backslide. Because there's too too many distractions in this life, there's too much stuff in this life will just take you out. And we're not talking about next year or the next year, we're talking about decades. See, you young people, we're going to be in 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Ask yourself, are you going to be loving Jesus more now than than in 30 or 40 years? See, the bottom line is that's, and I don't want to be harsh, but there's some of us here will basically, your love is going to die. Because that's the percentage-wise. It just look around you. People lose their love for him. It doesn't mean you're going to lose your salvation, but you've lost that first love. So where are you going to be in 30 years, 40 years, 50 years? Are you going to be more passionate than you are now? Or is that love going to die? You see, you have to be very deliberate about it. You have to be constantly saying, God, reset me. Lord, release the grace within me to love you right to the end with an undying love. Because if you don't, you'll just lose it. You can serve God. You can do all the right stuff. You can go for all the motions, but something's missing at the end. It's not going to affect your salvation, but you're going to stand before him to give an account. And there are rewards for those who are able to keep their first love. I think it's hard for anybody to keep their first love for a long, long time over a lifetime because there's so many things that come against you. And the thing, I think the thing is you have to be aware of that and you have to say, God, welcome his rebukes into your life and say, Lord, if I'm losing my first love, please, in your love, come and rebuke me. Come and correct me. Welcome that. Say, God, I need your grace to love you the way they did from the very beginning. Because the tendency will you'll lose that love. Because it doesn't come naturally. Our hearts naturally turn away. That's why every generation needs to have their own encounter with God. The next generation needs to meet God themselves and experience that love and be overwhelmed by it. Because if they don't, it just, you, something gets lost. You have a form of godliness, but you deny the power thereof. You have a form of Christianity. That's why it's often hard in a nation where you have, say, you know, Christianity is going for a number of generations. Often you end up with a form of godliness, but the first love is gone. In other words, they go for all the motions, they do all the right things, they sing all the right songs, they know all the scriptures, but there's something missing of the fire of God's love. And we all need to have fresh encounters of his love to keep us going. Because otherwise our hearts just grow cold. This was the warning to the Ephesus church, amazing church. He said, but you've lost that first love. One generation, it's all it takes. And if the fire falls down the road, you're welcome, go down the road. I might join you, okay? Honest, follow the fire. I remember we and Freddie read a book years ago, it was called Follow the Fire. And it was, a lot, it was about that, you know, about this guy who was in a church and the Holy Spirit fell in a church and, he realized that, man, I've lost my first love. He said, I'm out of here. And he went and followed the fire <laughs> and, uh, because he realized he couldn't lose the, that fire of God's love in his heart. Follow the fire, not a denomination. Don't follow, okay? 
Don't be loyal to the vineyard when the fire's gone, all right? Just find the place where the fire is falling, if necessary, and join in. Because otherwise you will just end up losing your first love. Hey? The fire should be in here. But we need fresh encounters of his love. Amen? I think I'll stop there. Hope that's an encouragement. It's supposed to be an encouragement. <laughs> you need fresh fire. So let's stand, shall we? And there's a good prayer. Grace to all who love the Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. God released grace to love him because it takes God's grace to love him. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength for a lifetime, not a flash in the pan. Right? <laughs> I'm not interested in what you're doing in five years or two years. What are you gonna, where are you going to be in 20, 30, 40 years? I haven't got that long. 40, 50 years, right? I'll be 100 and something. Woo! But I'm saying is that ask God to put a fresh fire in your heart. The first thing is to, see, they didn't recognize it. That's a scary thing. You don't recognize when you've lost your first love. And so it's a good question. There's another scripture too. I, it's, actually, I'll read that. I just want to read one more scripture. I think it's, it's tied in with that. Sorry, just stand there. We'll just read the scripture as well, if I can find it now. Uh, this is John chapter 17. I love this verse, verse 26. I have made, this is Jesus speaking, I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known. He's talking about to us, to his disciples and to us. I've made you known, that's the Father, to them and will continue to make you known. Listen to this. In order that, that the love you have for me may be in them, and I myself may be in them. But listen, that the love you have for me may be in them. Think about that for a minute. That the love you have for me may be in them. He's saying that the love that the Father has for the Son would be in you. That's, that's unbelievable that we can love the Son like the Father loves the Son. How does the Father love the Son? Passionately. The focus is always on the Son. The Father's attention is always on the Son. Always on the Son. He says, that same love that the Father has for me, he says, I pray that it be in you. Wow. That we may love Jesus like the Father loved. That's like, that's a, how can it be? It's almost like seems impossible. But that happens by an impartation of the Holy Spirit. That we may love the Son like the Father loves the Son. Wow. Because he lives within us. You see, that can only happen by a revelation of the Holy Spirit, by God's grace. You imagine if you could, wow, that's like, that's mind-blowing. That's a good prayer to pray. Say, Holy Spirit, impart to me the ability to love the Son like you love your own Son. That would be fire of God's love, wouldn't it? But that's where he wants his church to be. You see, because the reality is that the church in the West is really is asleep. We know that. 
In New Zealand, it's asleep. We can pretend all we like. But the church needs to be awakened, and it's only be awakened by his love coming and touching our hearts afresh. I quote that scripture last week. Each and every sunrise, I lay my prayer request before you. I lay the pieces of my life upon the altar, and I wait for the fire to fall. You see, it's spending time with Jesus and saying, God, I, I want, Jesus, I want to love you with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind. But let the fire fall on my heart afresh. Kiss me afresh. Kiss my heart. Because if you don't kiss me, I know that my heart will become cold. Because that's just a natural tendency. And so what I want to do this morning, it would be good to just open up. And it's not so much coming before me or anything else. But if you know your love has grown cold. If you know that zeal is gone, that first love is like, it's waned. The fires, the flames are getting a bit... God wants to come and just come again and awaken your heart afresh. And so if that's you, it'd be good to respond to the Lord, okay? So if you know that's you, just come and stand before him and say, God, my heart's cold. Just acknowledge it. That's what he's saying here. It's recognizing and saying, God, I repent. I ask for forgiveness. Come and pour out your love afresh in my heart afresh. Because I know that if you don't, that I'll lose that first love. And so if that's you this morning, I just want to invite you to come and just stand in the front. And just before God and say, God, give me fresh fire. If that's you this morning, just come. In actual fact, you all probably should be here, really, because I think most of us are like that. Okay, if it's re- be honest. Because, see, Jesus is walking with fire through the church. He's looking for those who have white-hot love for him, a passion for him. You can't make it happen, but there can be an impartation. I ask God to come and awaken us afresh. Okay. I think it's important. And he's doing this before God, okay, and say, God, here I am. Awaken my heart again. Awaken me with fresh love. And so we're going to just going to pray for you, and then I'll ask the rest of you to come and pray, okay? Those who don't come forward, want everyone to come and help, just to pray, for, just ask God to touch them afresh. Father, thank you that we're standing here today, Lord God. We recognize, Lord God, that, Father, we need your grace. Lord, to love you with an undying love. Lord, we want to just repent right now, Father God, where we know our love has grown cold. Lord, that the flame is not as, as bright as it used to be. Lord, we're going for the, emo- the emotions, we're doing all the right things, but there's something not quite right. Lord, I pray that you would come with fresh love, fresh fire. Lord, you see these ones that come forward before you, you know their hearts. And Lord, you see, Lord God, and Father, it's like you are walking through the midst of your church with the eyes of fire. And Lord, you want to awaken your church in this nation. You want to awaken your church in the Western world. Lord, you're coming back with a bride that's on fire, a bride that's burning with love for you.